you from the city of Brotherly Love, none other than Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, broadcasting from and hanging out in the WWDB 860 AM studios. I am a bit of a liar. I'm actually not hanging out in the WWDB 860 AM studios. I have escaped to beautiful Deerfield Beach right outside Fort, Fort Lauderdale um, in Florida, and we're doing our first call-in episode today, so hopefully this goes uh, well, and we have a call-in guest, too, so this should be fun. We'll see if we're going to take this route in the future or do pre-recorded episodes when we're traveling, but nonetheless, I would not want to lie to you. I am in a much sunnier place than Philadelphia right now, and certainly uh, no 20 inches of snow on the ground. <laughs> now, you have tuned yourself into the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. What that means is we are bringing you the best ideas for what actually works for managing health issues, not just what has the most money behind it. By the way, I'm your host, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. You can reach out anytime or check out my work at evantransu.com. Well, I'm very glad to be here with you today. Still fun to do a call-in episode. And we got a little bit of a different setup than normal. Again, obviously, we have a call-in guest, and I'm calling in myself, so it's different in that regard. Um, but also, our guest today was able to take the time for us to hop on for the first three segments, but he, like myself, is actually a professional speaker, and he has a presentation at 1045. So I'll be finishing up the show today, uh, really just following up on some of the things that we talked about. Uh, but his name is Scott Prendergast, and he's a full-time inspirational speaker and mental health advocate from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and a graduate of Temple University, class of 2019. He speaks about the importance of acknowledging mental health in society and encourages on how to overcome the everyday mental obstacles that hold us back in life. Scott travels across the country speaking to audiences ranging from high school students to adults while sharing his own story of hope and resilience in learning to overcome depression. Scott uses a practical approach of mental health strategies combined with a, uh, combined, excuse me, with a compassionate touch to help others validate their own feelings and work towards moving past them. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being here with us today, man. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ev, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's uh, an honor to be on your show. Love the work that you're doing, and I think it's fantastic, and I'm just I'm glad we could uh, have the opportunity to do this today. Absolutely. And Scott and I actually work for a similar organization called uh, Minding Your Mind, and we both do presentations there, and I know Scott does stuff outside of that as well. But what's really fun is, Scott, I've read your bio, man. I mean, I've seen the stuff that you do. I absolutely love the energy you bring um, in the video clips, but What's really fun about today is I don't know your story. Um, I don't know it in depth, and that's why I think this interview is going to be that much more fun. And just so I'm respectful of time, to begin with, we, we, are, we have until 1044 today. Is that correct? Yes, sir. You got it. Awesome. Great, great. Right before our last um, ad break, and then, um, again, I'll hop in solo, guys, and do some chatting about what we talked about today. So let's not waste any time. I want to get into it. Um, Scott, one of my favorite questions to ask people when it comes to mental health challenges, especially as young adults, is like, what was Scott like as a kid? What was going on in, let's say, you know, from the day you were born to maybe that 12-year-old range? Um, were you dealing with mental health issues at that age already? Was something starting to come up? Or what was life like at that time? Yeah, of course. That's an awesome question. And I think it's really amazing to, to see how everybody's story is a little bit different. You know, everybody's experience is not exactly the same. So for me personally, from the day I was born, which I obviously don't remember till, you know, I'd say up until I was about 15 years old, I didn't really think about mental health much. 
you know, I just looked at life as if, wow, you know, it's great. What am I doing today? Realistically, what sport am I playing today? Because sports was my entire life, particularly basketball. You know, that's all that I ever wanted to do was just play these sports all the time. So up until about 15 years old, mental health wasn't something I ever thought of. Neither was any real kind of sadness at anything. You know, looking back on it, though, there was a lot of signs some precursors to some serious anxiety and depression that were there that at the time I didn't know what that was about. I didn't acknowledge it. I didn't understand it. Never really paid any attention to it. However, once I got to about 15 years old, this is when things started to change. You know, I ended up getting cut from one of my basketball teams at this time. And I was like to say that this is really what triggered my depression. You know, it didn't cause it because as we know, that's not something that happens, but it rather triggered it. And at this point, I really started to see everything kind of full-blown turn into depression. You know, my personality changed. I started to really withdraw from everybody. I stopped hanging out with friends. I stopped talking. I stopped really doing anything at all. I felt like my value and what I defined myself as in my life had now been taken away. And so now that this thing that I put all my eggs in one basket in, so to speak, had been taken away, I felt like, well, gee, what's the purpose for me? What's the point for me? I don't even matter. There's no reason for me to be here. And because of this, I really saw for the rest of my high school years spiraling into a pretty deep depression. And then as things went on and I got into college, I kind of went from that valley and I got up onto a mountain, so to speak, again. And I'm like, wow, this depression is done. Life's going to be good. Things are going to be great. This is college, man. You know, nothing bad ever happens in college. They make movies about this, right? So I was really excited. <laughs> yep. And, yeah, exactly. Maybe a little bit unrealistic, but, hey, you know, I'll be honest. <laughs> so... And as college went on, things are going great. And then I'd say towards the end of freshman year, something happened where I found myself falling back into that depression again, except this time it was even worse than high school. And I stayed in that depression pretty much for three, probably two, three years until about my junior year of college, where ultimately I was able to start to pull myself out of it through the help faith, but also through doing a lot of research on gurus such as Tony Robbins and other inspirational speakers and other mental health strategies that I just Googled on the internet. And I was able to find these things and start putting it into practice every single day. And as I did this, I started to see, okay, this works for me, so I'm going to continue to do it. And it was kind of through my own research that I really was able to pull myself through. And so my story is a little bit different in the fact that I didn't go to see a therapist right away. You know, I didn't go on medication right away. And I think that's okay because it's different for everybody. And there's not one way, as you know, Ev, to cure or treat depression, but rather it's about a kind of a trial and error process on what works well for you and maybe what doesn't. And I think for me, it was just figuring that out. And it's still a daily process, but I'm in such a better place now um, obviously being that I talk about it as I was a couple of years ago, which is great. So I know that was kind of long winded, but I think that sort of gives a, a snapshot into my story about why I'm here today and where I've been. No, Scott, that was excellent. And that gives us so much to um, dive into. And that actually gives a lot of clarity to me as well, because, you know, we, we've talked before, there are plenty of people in our space that do wonderful work, but they don't actually have an interest in speaking itself. And that's okay, right? They're just interested in using that as the vehicle. But I think you and I, we really get hyped up about it. Um, actually, I, I don't think that. I know that. When I see your videos, it's so clear that, you know, you've watched these types of things. And this is just fascinating to me because I don't know if you know this, but the part of my story that I share is not anything with counseling first, really. It's not anything with I did a lot of natural stuff. I didn't share that. The number one step that I give is personal development. And when I refer to personal development, I mean 
listening to inspirational things, reading personal development books. Tony Robbins is one of my favorite speakers of all time. Les Brown, I don't know if you ever listened to Les or anything. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's just, it's really cool to know that, you know, a lot of people can see that as almost cheesy, unfortunately, but these are real things that we were dealing with. And obviously it at least helped us to some degree. Um, now I'm curious, because I, I want to rewind and unpack some of the stuff that you uh, shared. When you say that the getting cut from the sports team triggered the depression, but it didn't cause it because, you know, we know that it doesn't cause it. I don't think a lot of people understand what that means, actually. So can we dive into what you meant by this triggered it, but didn't cause depression? Of course. Yeah, I would love to. And I think, you know, I get called it because we're in the mental health field, so we know differences and stuff. But here's what I mean by that. So this depression, I like to put it this way, it was lurking. It was already in me, so to speak. You know, this was a, for me personally, and of course it's different for everyone, it was a genetic uh, predisposition. You know, I've had people in my family who have dealt with this before. So it was lurking in there, kind of in the corner, in the background, just waiting for something to happen. So for me, when I got cut from this team, as I was saying, it triggered it because that was the initial kind of vehicle, the initial thing that happened that really allowed this depression to come out. You know, it's not as if everything was fine. I had no predisposition to this. And all of a sudden I get cut from this team and this depression pops out of nowhere. But rather it was already inside me, so to speak. I know that sounds cheesy, but it was already kind of there. And if it wasn't getting cut from the sports team, look, it would have been something else. It was just a matter of time before this kind of came out and started to really wreak havoc on my life. And I, it's different for everybody. And like I said, for me, a genetic predisposition was had to do with it. But for other people, maybe it's, you know, a, a whole host of other things. But I think it's important, and I would say this in my presentations, that I talk about how this is what triggered it as opposed to what caused it. Because I don't want people to think that, hey, look, if something bad happens in your life, automatically you have depression. Because that's not how it works. It doesn't just happen like that. That maybe you're in a sad mood or you're in a difficult time in your life, but that doesn't mean you have depression. So that's why I always like to distinguish between the two about how this is what it was triggered by this getting cut from this team, but wasn't caused by it. And uh, I think that's really what I mean by it. And I, try, I hope it brings some clarity to it. Sure, sure. And that's exactly what I was looking for. I love that you bring that up in um, the presentations because, you know, for people that have – mental health is just so hard to explain to people that have never dealt with this stuff, even if they're totally open-minded to it, right? You know, if you break your arm, it's very obvious to see you broke your arm. People can kind of empathize instantly with that pain. It's a little harder to describe some of this stuff. Um, we got about four minutes before the break, and I assume this answer might – you know, go a little more in depth than four minutes, but I'd love to start with it. And that is, what are some of the signs of depression? I, I know you kind of, you know, brushed on them when we were first uh, giving the answer of like, what was Scott like as a kid? But when you are having that depression be triggered, what are some of the first in-depth like symptoms that you're starting to notice? And of course, you might not have known it was depression at the time. I understand that. Um, but I just mean like, what were the changes that looking back, you're like, wow, that was going on? Right. Yeah. One of the biggest changes that I noticed personally, and I think that a lot of people can see is personality. And now before being cut from this team, before this, I was triggered by this depression, I was the liveliest person. I was always joking in class, laughing around. You couldn't keep me quiet for more than 10 seconds. I'll be honest. I was always that loud, boisterous personality, having fun and stuff like that. 
But I noticed that after being cut from this team, almost immediately, my personality completely shifted from being this happy-go-lucky kid to now I was really withdrawing from everybody. You know, I wasn't hanging out with friends. I wasn't engaging in class. I wasn't talking to people. I was doing bad in class. I was acting out in school and outside of school. And so these were some of the initial, probably the first things that I started to notice well, I didn't notice then, but looking back on it, where, hey, there were some signs that things were going on. And in addition to that, we have these feelings of overwhelming hopelessness that really this is a huge sign as well. And I know we all at some point in our lives feel hopeless. Uh, that's just part of living. That's just part of being human. But when we're talking about depression, we're looking at two weeks or more of this prolonged activity. And it's not just feeling hopeless in a fleeting moment, but rather you can't get your mind on anything else throughout the day besides the fact of how much you think you don't matter or how hopeless that you feel that your life is. And for me, these were some things that were really prominent at the time that I didn't realize were depression, but looking back on it now, I realize are. And in addition to that, we have things such as complete, you know, lack of loss of interest in things. You know, for me, I lost interest not only in basketball, but in so many things that I previously loved to do before that, I completely lost interest in them. And I didn't want anything to do with it at all. And this is also one of the signs when we see this, we're like, okay, again, for two weeks or more prolonged exposure, we're looking at something that might be depression. And unfortunately for me, I didn't realize it at the time. I just tried to ignore it. I tried to sweep it under the rug, you know, until unfortunately I tripped over the pile one day. Gotcha. Okay. And I love that you brought up um, that you didn't realize that this was depression at the time. That's another thing for that's hard for people to, I think, understand when, you know, everyone experiences these things slightly differently. Um, but depression, for example, was something that did make me feel exactly like you just described in terms of the hopelessness. I started having these thoughts and even sometimes saying out loud, you know, why would I bother doing X, Y, Z thing? Because there's no point to life. And I might have said that for something as silly as my homework or a test or a project, but this was truly a lot different than a kid who was just using some lame excuse to get out of homework. This was actually someone who really started to believe and say, oh, well, you know what? Why would I do any little thing that inconveniences me to the smallest degree if my life's not going to matter anyway? I should just continue to, um, you know, abuse substances and play my video games or whatever, right, the negative coping mechanisms I was using at the time. And, Scott, we'll definitely touch a lot more on your story and some of the things that you did to resolve these issues and get to where you're at today right after these quick commercial breaks. Tired of talk radio shows that are nothing but Trump, Trump, and more Trump? Looking for something that actually has some relevance to your life? Then tune into The Pennsylvania Project. Hi, I'm Ken Krawchuk, host of The Pennsylvania Project. Our mission is to showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and we're all about solutions. So tune in Mondays, 3 p.m. here on WWDB, 860 a.m. in Philadelphia. When the problem is same old, same old talk radio, the correct solution is The Pennsylvania Project. Hey, Val, how's it going? Not so great, health coach Ev. It's the holiday season. What? Shouldn't that mean you were merry and jolly? Well, I'd like to feel that way, but my family is coming to our house this year. That means I'll have to deal with the embarrassment of the dog, Skippy, jumping all over the place right when we walk into the door. Oh, that old Skippy. Hey, I have just a solution for you, though. Have you heard of Eric Katz with Cats, Dogs, Canines? Cats, Dogs, Canines? Yeah, Cats, Dogs, Canines. 
Eric Katz is a great friend of mine who has been in the dog business for years now. He offers doggy daycare, boarding, and training for Bucks and Montgomery County. The guy's got more five-star Facebook reviews than you can even count, and he even won Best of Montgomery County for boarding and pet training. So you're telling me that Eric and Skippy Sue finally stopped jumping on people and embarrassing the heck out of me. You bet. I actually lived with Eric for a while and saw him fix issues like that in a matter of two to three weeks. The guy's a dog whisperer. Okay, okay. I'm in. Where can I find him? You can get in contact with Eric by heading over to catsdogsk9.com. Cats is spelled K-A-T-Z. That's catsdogs, the letter K, the number nine, dot com. When you give him a call, tell him you know Health Coach Eric. A few questions for you. Are you listening to the show to better your own health? Have you tried changing your diet around, maybe seen some results, but aren't quite where you'd like to be? Are you tired of playing guessing games with which supplements to take or being told that your blood work looks normal, even though you certainly don't feel so normal? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I have an amazing opportunity for you. Right now, you can be coached by a practitioner certified by the exact program that I always reference as being the main contributing factor to restoring my health, functional diagnostic nutrition. FDN practitioners are part of a group of elite health professionals who are highly skilled at identifying healing opportunities that no one else has uncovered for you, which I can attest to myself. They use cutting-edge functional lab testing, and through these tests, they'll be able to show you the hidden causes of your chronic health concerns. For me, it was these FDN practitioners who were finally able to explain to me why I had dealt with over a decade's worth of mental and physical health symptoms and what I needed to do in order to truly heal my body. There's a very limited number of people they can currently work with. And in fact, you'll have to hop on the wait list. Make sure you don't miss the next opportunity to work with one of these incredible professionals. Go to fdnthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button. That's fdnthrive.com and then click the Get Started Here button. Hey, we're back. Welcome to the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. I'm your host of the show. We're interviewing today Scott Prendergast, who is an inspirational speaker. Um, very, very passionate guy. If you listen to the first section, you can kind of already hear that even through the phone. It's a pretty incredible um, energy that this guy brings. And you did just hear my girlfriend, Fallon Morningstar, making a quick guest appearance to help me out with um, the Cats, Dogs, Canine ad. So we always appreciate that. Huge shout out to her. But we were talking with Scott about, you know, where his depression started, um, mental health issues started really, and what those symptoms were like in the beginning. And so, Scott, I'm curious, was your mental health journey mostly revolved around depression or were there other things like anxiety that came out? Because I know so commonly, not always, uh, but very commonly depression does mix with a couple other things or maybe one other thing. Yeah, of course. I've, I totally agree with that. I mean, so many times when we look at depression, it's mixed together. It's very rarely, like you said, not always, but very rarely just solely by itself. And for me, yeah, anxiety went hand in hand with this. But you know, the crazy thing was is that my whole life, I didn't know I had anxiety. Everyone just told me, oh, you get really nervous. That's okay. Or everyone just said, oh, you know, stop being this way, Scott. Just get over it. Just, you know, push past it. Come on. But looking back on my life, anxiety has been with me, like, pretty severely ever since I was a little kid. I even remember going to preschool, and when my mom would drop me off at preschool, I would feel like I was going to throw up, and I would be crying every single day because I was afraid of leaving her, honestly. So even something as small as me being four years old showed that anxiety was always there. And as I got older and through my journey throughout high school and college, every time I had a bout with depression, anxiety was always right there with it. 
and they really just worked as a tag team to make me feel really horrible and at the time and it was a very difficult thing to deal with because on one hand I'm feeling worthless I'm feeling sad I'm feeling like my life doesn't matter but yet on the other hand I'm telling myself oh my gosh what are you going to do you know you're never going to graduate college you're never going to get a job you're never going to have a good life and all these things together kind of warping into this one mental health issue that kind of just so to speak paralyzed me and I felt like I couldn't do anything because when I tried to do something it was either these negative self-talk from depression overtaking or it was me being able to not do anything because anxiety was telling me otherwise and these things together really just made life <laughs> made it difficult when you don't acknowledge it Absolutely. And that's so interesting that you brought up the anxiety being present that young, because I mean, that's very similar to what I experienced. Right. And that was the key. You know, I had great people in my life, no doubt about that. But especially at the time, because Scott, what are you? I mean, are you 23 or 24, right? Yeah, 24. Okay, guys. So we're a year different and we are not old men by any means, but the (laughs) in the way mental health was addressed 20 years ago when you and I were dealing with this, yeah, at a preschool or kindergarten level versus now, I mean, is night and day. The mental health uh, community has come so far and it's amazing that there's more awareness around this. But I remember we even went to the doctor and the doctor didn't identify uh, what I had as like panic attacks or anxiety, even though that was the exact same thing we came back for 10 years later. And they're like, oh, well, this is panic attacks and anxiety. Like, well, this is what we came in for at five years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it was hard to, harder to do that. And that's why we do um, the kind of work we do. Now, I'm curious. I, I think you bring a huge insight for uh, probably parents and, of course, students as well, which we'll talk about in a second. But for the parents out there that are listening to, you know, AM radio and just our podcast in general is certainly targeted towards um, an audience that most likely has kids or is planning on having kids. What are some of the things that they could watch out for? Um, Let's start with like depression, maybe, and we can mix anxiety in there as well, if you'd like, but some symptoms that they can watch out for that is different than just normal teenage behavior, because I hear all too often clinical depression or clinical anxiety getting rid off of or getting written off as, oh, that's just them being a teenager when it's really not. So let's talk about some of the differences there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we hear this all the time. You, know, you have these parents who say, oh, that's just them being a teenager. It'll pass. It's fine. And of course, yeah, there is some of that that goes along with it. We all were teenagers once. We know it can be difficult. But when we're looking at the difference here, if you're having a child who is constantly making comments about how they don't matter, are constantly making comments about what's the point, I don't care, and they're never trying in school, and they just don't seem motivated in any way for a prolonged time. And they're, and they're backing this type of lack of motivation up with this negative self-talk, with this constant you know, feeling as if impending doom. When we're seeing things like this for a prolonged time, it's not just normal teenage behavior. You know, this is something that we want to really be addressing as depression. And, and a lot of times people will say, oh, you know, what about the sleep patterns? Because we know teenagers, they sleep a lot more, right? And that's totally true, yes. But when you're having somebody who can't function on a normal level, who can't go about their normal task and normal daily activities without this just excessive or lack of sleep, you know, that's a concern. You know, that's something that we really want to be paying attention to and saying, hey, wait a minute here. You know, this this is not something that is just normal teenage behavior. We want to make sure that we're kind of addressing this. And so I like to always put it this way. If you have a child and you're wondering, okay, is this just teenage stuff or is this actual depression? 
you know, ask yourself this question. Is the things that they are dealing with, the things that they are saying, the things that they are doing, getting in the way of them functioning as a normal person to the point where they are no longer able to do their everyday tasks without these different things going on in their lives? And if the answer to that is yes, for more than, you know, at least two weeks or more, you're going to be looking at depression here and something that you really want to take the next steps to, whether that be talking to somebody or whether that be just opening up to them and creating a playing field where you can be a safe person to, for them to talk to and feel like they can have an ally, so to speak. Uh, and I think that's one of the biggest things because it can be hard, as you were saying, Ev. I mean, a lot of these things, they cross they kind of go on that blurred line, you know, okay, this is normal, maybe this isn't. But I think if we're looking at the things that I said, and it's prolonged exposure to it, you know, that's one of the big warning signs and that uh, something else is going on here. So well said, so well said. And it's unfortunate because a lot of the things that you mentioned can actually be looked at not only as teenage behavior, but um, my kids being lazy. They're not doing schoolwork. You know what I mean? And it's like they can't do schoolwork right now. And listen, there are certainly lazy students that don't do schoolwork. And that's why this stuff isn't so clear. And and it's why we try to bring up topics like this. Now, I want to talk about, uh, you know, some of the things that you do with students. But I think before we get into that, um, it's really important to talk about how you even got into that work to begin with. So, Scott, I'm curious, man. I mean, there's most of us have it. And I'm sure this is something that you share and, you know, share it to the degree that you're willing to. But is there like a moment for you where the light switch goes on and you're like, I got to do something, whether that's by your choice or something else? Like, where does this point come where you go from just getting worse and worse and worse? And then, I mean, to where you are now, that's incredible. Like there had to be a moment or something that happened that just kind of shifted things around. Am I correct? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I did have that sort of aha moment. And for me, it was sophomore year of college. And at this point, we're, we're talking about the pinnacle of my depression experience. You know, I'm in a really dark, really low place and was really kind of scared about what was going to happen and for my future and even on my day to day. And I remember I got to this point where I went to school at Temple University. So it was in the city. And I just had this day where I felt like everything in me just sank. It was one of those days where you wake up and you just think that taking one more breath is too much, man. And you don't even want to be here and you don't see any reason for it. And that pain is just too much for you. And I had a day like this and I just started blindly walking down Broad Street here in Philadelphia. And for those local to the area, we know Broad Street's one of the busiest streets. And I'm walking down the middle of the street. And the scariest thing was that I didn't feel anything. And I didn't even care what happened to me. At that moment, I didn't care if I got hit by a car. I didn't care if I felt pain. And if it wasn't by the grace of God, at one point, I turned to my left. I don't know why. And there was this bus stop. And on this bus stop was this picture of this mother holding her newborn baby. And she's holding this baby. And I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, man, she loves that child more than anything. You can just tell. And almost immediately, something just snapped in me. And I took my phone out. And I just called my mom. I just called my mom. And we talked. And that was really the first time that I addressed my mental health, that I kind of accepted that first invitation, so to speak, to my recovery process. And it all started with calling my mom and just telling her about what was going on. Because prior to this, I had kept everything inside for so long, and it was just eating me alive. And so when I finally opened up and talked to somebody, I was really able to take those first steps. It didn't happen right away, but those first steps to recovery and being able to learn how to cope and deal with my depression properly. And that's amazing, man. You kind of gave me chills there because I am definitely a um, spiritual person. I, I've definitely had experiences that, you know, you don't know why you're doing something or why you feel something and you just get that thing that 
seems to come to you at the exact perfect time. And, you know, we got a few minutes before the next break. I'm curious, how did that call go? Because I know that can be different for everyone. Um, you know, was your, your mom open to this? Was this something that, you know, she's like, oh, I, I kind of sense this? Or was this completely new information to her when you're telling her what you're feeling? Yeah, she just listened, which was the best thing that could have happened because I had made up in my mind this idea that whoever I tried to reach out to, they were just going to not believe me and not want to hear it and say all these things. And, you know, that's where the, our own insecurities can come into play. And I like to say that's the depression talking to us, you know, making up these lies. But when I finally called her, she just didn't say any of that. She was so receptive and just listened to everything I said for about like two and a half hours. And then after I was done saying everything, she's like, okay, how can I help? What can we do to make this better? And that was the best thing that I could have ever heard because that's what I needed to hear. And I needed to feel supported and I needed to feel that somebody cared. And my mom did the whole time. I could have came to her so much earlier, but it was just my own insecurities and what I was telling myself that prevented me from doing it earlier. But I'm glad that I did it when I did. And because of that, I then felt comfortable like, hey, you know, if I could talk to her about it, maybe I could talk to other people about it too. And that really kickstarted this whole process for me. All right. Well, I'm very excited to talk about that process um, after we're back. And I just, I don't know. I love everything that you're saying because depression is, and I want to be careful how I word this, but depression is a liar in many ways and certain multiple <laughs> mental health issues are, but and you see, you, yeah. you know exactly what I mean, right? Like it tells you that it's hopeless. It tells you people are going to judge me. If I talk about this, no one's going to understand. I am certainly not ignorant. I am not saying that if you go talk to 100 people in your life about the mental health issues that you're dealing with, that all 100 are going to be, you know, on board, super receptive. Oh, I totally get it. No, that, that's not how the world works yet. I, I don't believe that, unfortunately. But you know what? Right. The people that matter and that really care, yeah, they are going to be receptive. Um, they are, like, waiting for you to just tell them something, and they want to be there for you. Um, and that's the, that's the lie that depression and many other mental health issues tell us. Now, I cannot wait to talk more about the work that you do with students and how you actually got to be um, a speaker, because that is a heck of a transition coming from where you were at right after these quick commercial breaks. Hey, when you know that you or a loved one would do better mentally with something more than what your current doctor is doing, you can head to the Patient Experience Center at dhalab.com. View their advanced brain chemistry consultations to quickly and easily test and optimize with an MD. Take brain health in your own hands today with a 10% discount. Use the code HEALTHCOACHEV when checking out for a 10% discount on any test and consultation services. And again, that's dhalab.com. Folks, I actually use this lab personally with clients. Most of my colleagues do as well. Um, they are awesome. They believe that people actually have the right to get the blood work that they want and not just what their doctor chooses to allow them to have. Um, so I'm a big believer in that as well. Definitely recommend these people. And speaking of more, you know, kind of natural health or taking health into our own hands, let's stop for a second and talk about sleep. How many people out there really think that they get the best sleep they possibly could? In our modern world, there are so many factors preventing us from getting a good night's rest. We need to do whatever we can to make our sleep as optimal as possible. We heard this be a huge factor today in the mental health conversation, right? If you don't have good sleep, um, we're not going to have good mental health. It's just a matter of time. And that's why I recommend blue light blocking glasses. These special glasses prevent the parts of artificial light that keep us awake and prevent melatonin, our sleep hormone, from being secreted, from getting into the brain where they tell your body it's daytime. They work so well, in fact, that you'll sleep noticeably better on the first night of wearing them. What you want to do is go to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U 
B-L-O-X.com, and then go to the sleep section. Get your favorite pair, and at checkout, use the discount code HCE15 for 15% off. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, and discount code HCE, like Health Coach Ev, 15 for 15% off. And we're back. Welcome to the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. I'm your host of the show, and we're interviewing Scott Prendergast today. He's an inspirational speaker out of the greater Philadelphia, that, ooh, greater Philadelphia area, and he is uh, someone who has an awesome story and really just brings the energy. I mean, it's very rare that someone can do that through a phone call. Um, <laughs> I've seen this guy's video of, uh, videos of him speaking, and um, definitely a true natural and someone who's meant to be doing this work. And that's what I want to talk about um, in this final segment here before he has to go and do what he loves. He's got to go present. Scott, after that moment um, that you call your mom and this process really gets started, I know it certainly was probably uh, not an easy thing after that, but like what happens? Like, how does the process of recovery start for you? Um, you said that you didn't even really necessarily go to a counselor at first. Like, what does the next few months look like for Scott? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question, Ev. So for me, I started to think, okay, I found out that when I'm talking to somebody, I feel better. So the first step was, all right, I had these calls. I kind of like to, I like history. So I imagined it was like the fireside chats with uh, Roosevelt back in the war. You know, we used to have those fireside chats where he'd address the nation. Well, I called it that with my mom. And every Wednesday from 7 to 9, we would just talk on the phone. And I would just tell her about whatever was going on in my life, you know, good, bad, ugly, all that stuff. And we would just talk. And I found that this really helped me to just get the thoughts that I was feeling out to somebody else and to kind of rationalize it. And when I would hear myself say these things, I'd be like, okay, are, are you serious, bro? Like, we're thinking this. Come on, this is not a rational thing. Let's dive into this a little bit more and let's realize, no, this is not true. And how are we going to move past it? And so then for me, after doing this a lot, I started to do a lot of writing. I would write everywhere, man. I would write these post-it notes all over my wall. I would write in books, everything. And the more that I did this, the more that I started to get curious. And I was like, okay, so if this is how I'm feeling, what can I do about it? And that's where I started to do my research. And for me, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT as we call it, is a huge, huge, huge thing for me. It's something that I practice every day on my own. And I looked up all these different resources about how to do cognitive behavioral therapy on a daily basis. And I started to apply these things into my life, just slowly but surely, because, you know, some of them were a little bit difficult. And I would do this, and I started to see these results. And the more results that I saw, you know, the more I wanted to do it. And I would dive deeper into that. And then I came across people like Tony Robbins and other speakers who were talking about things that were very much along these lines. Now, I remember I watched this one Tony Robbins episode or, or podcast, whatever you call it. And he simply said, okay, if you find yourself slipping into one of those sad, depressive moods, change your body language, go from sitting slumped in a chair, sit yourself up straight, force yourself to smile, raise your eyebrows up. And by doing something as simple as this, you're going to instantly see your mood improve. And I remember hearing that and being like, what are you talking about? That's not going to work. But then I did it and I was like, oh, it actually is working. So a combination of all these different things just started to really cultivate an environment for me where not only did I feel good now, but I felt this passion to help other people as well. Because I knew that if I suffered with these things, I knew that I was not the only one. 
I knew that there were so many other people out there who were going through this and who maybe didn't know how to talk about it or how to receive the help. So that's when I started to write for a website, which ultimately is how I got founded by A Mind in Your Mind. And things really went from there. Um, and I think that's kind of what it, the process looked like for me as I started to find my way in this recovery process. This is amazing. And why did you want to take the route of speaking specifically? I mean, I get that for sure, obviously, but there's so many different ways that you can help people with the mental health stuff. I'm curious, like, what drew you to that? Yeah, so I looked at my life, and I actually changed my major junior year. I was a sport manager major. I was in sales with the Eagles. I did marketing with the Sixers. I worked for all those teams and stuff like that. And I looked at myself and said, all right, the thing that I'm best at and that I love the most is when I get to present. When I'm presenting in class, when I'm presenting in front of a client, whatever it is, I love to do that. So what direction can I take this passion with mental health and helping people and also speaking? And ultimately, that's how I came across Minding Your Mind and things went along that way. And I thought that, look, I've always been somebody who was able to make people feel good. I've always wanted to do that. I always was like, hey, even if I'm feeling bad, let me make somebody else feel good because I think that's important. And so combining with my ability to speak and desire to make people feel good, it really seemed like a perfect fit, knowing that I could reach people through my voice and through the things that I was saying and through my experiences. That, um, and it just seemed like a perfect storm for me, and I'm thankful I figured it out and was able to, to really start pursuing it. This is so awesome. I, I'm so surprised by, obviously, no story is identical, but I just love the overlap because I was even doing sales myself before getting into the speaking. I knew it would help me out, too. Right? It's tough to present yeah. in front of people even <laughs> if you do love it. Um, you got to refine that. Uh, one of the things I think I just love to hear about, and maybe, you know, it's not as um, informative, but I, I think it's special and I, I want to talk about it. What's been one of your best moments as a public speaker specifically to students? Like, have you had something that just really sticks out? Because there's a lot of great moments in this work. Oh, yeah. I mean, as you know, Ev, we're doing this. There's, there's always so many great moments with having a job like this. But I think for me, something that really sticks out is I remember I presented at Central High School, which is right here in Philadelphia. It's uh, right up the street from where I live. Really. It's not too far away. And I spoke in front of their whole 10th grade class, which is like 700 some kids. It was a lot. And I remember I did this presentation. And afterwards, I had I had to have at least 100, maybe even more kids come up to me and say how much they resonated with my story and how much they appreciated what I said and how, they, how I really made them smile during that day and feel good about themselves. And it was just kid after kid after kid. And I, I was floored because, as you know, when you do this job, you always have kids who say things like that. But then you also have people who, look, they're in high school. They seem like they don't care. They're an ornery teenager, right? But this was kid after kid after kid. And it really just was a blessing to be able to see something like that because I know in my own life, I had been kind of struggling thinking, man, am I reaching these people? Am I helping these kids out? Am I, is my work of value? And to have that kind of affirmation was amazing and it's something I still remember to this day and actually on social media I know I have a lot of those students who uh, who have reached out to me even in the past year and just said hey I just want to thank you again for that it really meant a lot so I think that was probably one of my most special moments while doing this profession that's so cool and yeah I mean you know what it's <laughs> I definitely feel you on that because high school yes it has a variety of students and some you get this <laughs> the one mix that's really tough to talk to is the one that is not currently dealing with this stuff and doesn't really understand it yet. 
and is kind mm-hmm. of a troublemaker, you know, the bad boy. So you're, yeah. you're in trouble when you run into them because they don't empathize with it and they're, you know, they're waiting for you to mess up or something. But it makes it all worth it when you have something like that. Like, that's incredible, man. You know, to have that large of a group come up and just talk. And it's, it's, I think it's so powerful when you get a solid group of students that leads the way. It really gives permission for so many others that are struggling out there and relating to what you're saying um, to come up and talk. So what is um like what does the future hold for you? Is this I know this is something that you want to probably pursue for the rest of your life. I mean, is it always going to be just students? Do you like talking to parents? Like, what does the next five ten years look like? Assuming the world gets back to some level of normalcy here, let's say that. <laughs> yeah, that's the big question, right? But um, yeah, I agree. I'll tell you what. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life is to speak. And you know, right now with mind of your mind, we're speaking to students. But I have an overall vision as I progress throughout my life where I don't want to just speak to students. I want to speak to everybody. I want to be a voice for that person, not just at a big corporation, not just a student. You know, I want to be a voice for that person who has that nine to five job, who maybe is thirty something years old, who's got kids, and is just struggling with their life and wants to find more joy and more happiness. You know, I want to be a voice for that person. And I want them to tune in to watch Scott videos or whatever it might be and say, man, you know, this guy's giving me some hope. This guy's allowing me to see some light that maybe, maybe I can find some happiness. I can find some peace right here, right now. Not when everything goes right, not at this moment, not at that moment, but right now. And so I really want to work on being that. And, you know, I'm in the process and it's, it's hard because where we're at in our lives, but I'm in the process of starting my own organization. You know, I'm working on the website right now. It's going to be called Scotty P Inspiration. You know, it's not done yet or anything, but I'm in the process of doing that. And I really want to just get my name out there to help as many people as I can. Uh, in addition to what I do at Minding Your Mind and just like with what you're doing with Minding Your Mind and also having your show and everything. So I think for me, that's what the next five to 10 years look like, assuming the world gets back to normal. And, um, you know, I really hope that it'll just work out and I have faith that eventually it will. Yeah, oh, this is so cool. The uh, um, I think you certainly have a future no matter what, because, right, the online world has actually opened up so many speaking opportunities. Um, but listen, man, you know, I don't know about you. There's just something about doing it in person, though. You know what I mean? Oh, 100% agree. 100%. I miss it so much. <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll get back to it for sure. I, I You know, all things pass and, and that it, it will happen eventually. That, that's definitely um, the truth. Scott, I have two more quick questions for you really quick ones before we get out. Um, and one is simply if someone is out there listening right now and struggling and they have no idea what to do, um, what's the first step you'd give them and the call to action today, basically? What would you tell them to do? Yeah. First thing that I would say is to really just listen to yourself. I mean, you're having these feelings for a reason. These feelings are not, you're not making these things up. You feel this way and it's real and you need to address it. So I would say the first thing to do before anything else is to just, you know, be kind to yourself because I know, and I'm sure you can relate as well, Ev, I spent so many years being so damn mean to myself and putting myself down so much because I had these depressive feelings that I didn't acknowledge it. And I bullied myself, as odd as that sounds. And I think that's really easy to do, especially in today's day and age, because you hear mental health, and we've come a long way, but we still have that stigma associated with it. So first thing you want to do, you want to be kind to yourself, and you want to acknowledge how you're feeling. And the next step from there is you want to find someone that you trust who you can be vulnerable with and talk to. And that's different for everybody. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a colleague. I don't care who it is. But it's really important for you to find that person who you can really lay it all out to and just say, hey, man, 
this is how I'm feeling. I need to talk about this. And I think if you do those two first steps, you're going to instantly see things start to change for you. Not, or not instantly, I should say, but over time, you see things start to change. And it all really begins with that acknowledgement, though. That's that first piece, I think. Excellent. And Scott, of course, you know I have to ask, where can people find you if they want to get connected or hey, even book you as a speaker? Yeah, so uh, people can find me on a couple of different ways. You can go and check me out on Instagram, which is Scott J, and then we got underscore inspo, I-N-S-P-O. So you can check me out there. You can also find me on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel called Scotty P Inspo, I-N-S-P-O. That's another way they could contact me. Uh, in addition to that, i also on Facebook, I'm at Scotty P Motivation. So there's another avenue. And then finally, we got the good old email, can't go wrong with that, at SJ prendergast22 at gmail.com and so those are a couple different avenues in which people can contact me and reach out to me and for whatever the reason might be well i have no idea how the heck we're not connected yet so i will make sure to get that uh done as soon as we are done the episode today but i know you got to run we're going to take a quick commercial break and then i'm going to hop on and just reflect on some of the stuff we talked about today but scott thank you so much for giving us your time and uh, i hope this was a good warm-up for the presentation my friend you sound fired up Awesome. It was. Ev. Thank you so much for this. I love your show. It's amazing what you're doing. I know myself and everyone at Monty Mind, we think it's amazing. And, and keep doing your thing, man. It's going to work. It's going to pop off. And it's really great to see. So thank you for bringing me on the show. And I wish you nothing but the best, man. Have a great day, brother. You too. All right, folks, we'll be right back after this quick or our final commercial break. Folks, does the idea of supporting you or your child's mental health challenges sound appealing, but you have no idea where to start? Are you listening to an episode like this and just wondering, okay, this is all great, but you know, I need a little more. And do you think it's all just way too complicated to actually apply in a practical way? Well, that's why I published my book last year, Overcoming Mental Health Challenges, How I Resolved 13 Years of Mental Health Issues Naturally. In part one of the book, I share all of the details of my mental health journey. This is meant to relate to those out there suffering as well as validate any symptoms that they may think are strange or abnormal. Because there's a lot of things that those of us suffering with mental health issues go through that we're like, what's happening to me? And we don't even realize sometimes that it is a sign of mental health. And part two contains all of the basic action steps I took to finally get my mental health under control naturally. You can grab a copy of the book today. Just go to Amazon and type in Evan Transu, that's T-R-A-N-S-U-E. That's amazon.com and type in Evan Transu in the search bar. You'll see the book come right up, Overcoming Mental Health Challenges, How I Resolved 13 Years of Mental Health Issues Naturally. Hey, does the pandemic have your hair looking a little funky? Do people stop and glance at you while you walk down the street? Listen, hair salons have been open for a while now. It's time to get that haircut you've been procrastinating. And when you do it, you should head to Hair and Visions in Oxville, Pennsylvania. Hair and Visions is open Tuesday through Saturday. They specialize in coloring and also offer keratin treatments that give your hair that smooth finish. Hair and Visions offers haircuts for all ages, so you can bring the whole family. Schedule your appointment today by calling 610-847-8894. That's 610-847-8894. Tell them Health Coach Ev sent you. And we are back. Welcome to the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. Just got done interviewing the first three segments of the show, uh, Scott Prendergast and that guy, Wow. Awesome energy. I, I said it before, but it is very rare that someone can just really light you up even through the phone. I think that man has found the work that he's supposed to be doing. Um, no doubt about it. I'm happy to get uh, connected with him outside of this, you know, learn a thing or two from him for sure. 
So I want to take this final segment here because <clears throat> he had, again, you know, some presentations to do today. So I thought that was pretty uh, cool. We wouldn't want to take him from that. But I wanted to take the time to reflect on some of the things that we heard and then actually share some of the things that I did to resolve my mental health issues. It's not something that I guess we've really talked about directly on the show. Um, certainly, we cannot get into all of it today, but it'd be a little teaser uh, for the book that we just advertised. And if you find that this stuff would be useful or up your alley, um, perhaps that is something considering worth uh, going after, right? And of course, you can always go to evantransy.com as well. Go to the book tab and you can find it there. So one of the things that I thought was super cool about Scott is I know that he grew up with an otherwise, you know, normal enough family. Um, we're not talking about some history of trauma there, right? And that falls into this category, well, I have two categories, really, that are not clinical terms, but I describe them as clinical, or clinical, uh, circumstantial versus non-circumstantial mental health issues. Now, what is a circumstantial mental health issue? Well, to me, that is a mental health issue that's clearly triggered by a circumstance. Now, that is different than the stuff that we talked about with Scott today, because he did use the word trigger. He said getting cut from the sports team triggered depression, but it did not cause it. The type of circumstances I'm referring to are these things like serious abuse, maybe a major loss in your life at a young age, right? It's things that we don't really like to talk about. Certainly don't need to give any graphic detail here. I'm sure you can imagine what I'm, I'm getting at. And unfortunately, many of us have been through it. Maybe you can even relate. And so those circumstantial mental health issues are those that are clearly related and correlated to one or more major events um, in our life. But people like Scott and I, you know, had kind of a different thing, and that's what I call the non-circumstantial mental health issues, okay? And the non-circumstantial ones are things that might have been there anyway, right? Long before Scott ever got cut from that team, he said it at four or five years old, whatever, you know, you're in in preschool, maybe even three, He's dealing with anxiety. What he then uh, later realized was anxiety. Okay, so this kind of stuff would have been there regardless, without a trauma in the life. It's still that, you know, um, mental health issue that someone that had a really serious circumstance could happen, but, you know, there is no circumstances. And that's why I call it a non-circumstantial mental health issue. These two conditions, in my completely unprofessional opinion, obviously I know a thing or two about this, but this isn't like medical advice by any means. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, not a therapist, um, I'm not, none of those things. But what I've seen more often than not is the circumstantial mental health issues are going to need to be addressed in a way that most likely uh, will utilize medication for at least some period of time. Counseling is something that both categories would greatly benefit from. Certainly that's not gonna hurt anyone, right? Uh, just getting to talk about the issues and learning some coping strategies and new perspectives, uh, uh, new ways of looking at the mental health issues, really, right? That's going to be beneficial. Um, and it, it might be something that's more long-term with the circumstantial stuff. So what I mean by that is some people might never get out of the counseling or therapy. Some people might use a medication for an extremely long period of time. I don't really have a problem with that, right? That's totally okay with me. Now, the non-circumstantial side of things, the people like Scott and myself, where it's like, you know, I have a pretty good life. Why am I depressed? And it's not just complaining, right? It's real depression, clinical depression that's diagnosed. Why do I have panic disorder? Why do I have generalized anxiety disorder? Why do I have substance abuse disorder? Why do I feel so bad that I feel the need to use substances on a daily basis to hide what I'm going through? Well, again, 
counseling, therapy, I think those things are going to be essential. And of course, you want to go to a doctor to receive a true diagnosis. Now, th that's a little controversial. Some people actually believe that you're better off without a label. Um, maybe for some, that's the right thing to do. For me, I know that getting the label for these things was actually one of the most validating experiences I ever had because I didn't have the language for mental health issues when I was younger. What I experienced as a panic attack was me calling myself crazy. Is for those that have never experienced a panic attack, one of the things that can happen is you feel like you can't breathe. You feel like your chest and throat are getting really, really, really tight. It feels like, you know, if you ever got stuck underwater a little too long, like longer than you expected, you know, you're at the pool and you get stuck under a raft or something when you're swimming with friends, or you're at the ocean and you get thrown off the boogie board and, you know, you're stuck in a wave. It's that feeling of adrenaline where you want to take a breath and you know you can't because you're not above the water yet, bam, like you get that, whoa, hypervigilance, like I need to get back up. It's that feeling, except it lasts for 10 to 20 minutes, maybe even a little longer or a little shorter for some, right? So it's an intense thing. Um, and you can probably understand why someone, especially a young adult or kid who doesn't know what that is, might refer to that as crazy. Right? That sounds a little crazy. Oh, I have these periods, sorry, where for 10 to 20 minutes, completely randomly, there, there's no rhyme or reason for it, I think I'm going to die. And then after that, you know, I'm a little worked up, but I'm actually totally cool. Like, everything's fine. Yeah, I can understand how someone would use the language around, like, being crazy or whatever. And with depression, you know, depression, I think Scott and I had a lot in common. I wish he, you know, was able to stay on for the whole show. Maybe we'll have him back. Let me know. Go to evantrancy.com, type in the contact form and say, we want Scott. <laughs> if you'd like Scott back on um, the podcast or the radio show. But for depression, this was something where, you know, a lot of people view depression as, oh, just sadness. Or I always thought, you know, my 14, 15-year-old self, depression must have been people who cry their eyes out all the time uncontrollably or people who stop hanging out with friends and family. Um, certainly depression could be any or all of those things, but it doesn't have to be any of those things, if that makes sense. Depression for me was actually more numbness. I wouldn't really call it sadness at all. It was a mix of numbness and anger primarily. I did have days where I would label it more sadness, but I would say um, if I had to put a percentage on it, 80 plus percent of the time was numbness and anger. So what I was viewing myself as is, oh, I'm this jerk dude. I'm mean to people because, you know, this anger caused me to, and I'm not justifying anything. Justification isn't the same as explanation. I always say that. Um, I'm not justifying actions I took at the time, but there is an explanation for them, right? And, you know, I was really mean to a lot of people. And like Scott said, the person I was meanest to, the person I was nastiest to, no matter how bad I was to the people in my life, was actually myself. No matter how bad I treated all those individuals, I treated myself a step worse. And so I viewed myself as just this jerk. I don't care. I must not have any empathy for others. Like, like what's wrong with me, right? And then to get those labels, because I'm bringing this full circle, right? This was a labels conversation. To learn that, oh, this is called panic disorder and you're not crazy. Or to learn, oh, this is called major depressive disorder. You're not a jerk. You're not a drug addict. Like, you're dealing with something real. That's powerful stuff. So I thought that was very useful for me. So, you know, to continue the steps for non-circumstantial mental health issues, Going to a counselor, uh, probably a doctor, to get that diagnosis and, and learn, hey, I'm not crazy. You know, I have something real that many people have dealt with before, and thank God many people have overcome as well. So it gives you hope to know that other people have been through what you've been through and can overcome it. The other step with the non-circumstantial uh, side of things, I think, is mindset. And this is actually the first step. 
step in my book, what it's, it's called, remember, How I Resolved 13 Years of Mental Health Issues Naturally. Before I get into the diet, before I get into the sleep, before I get into any of that stuff, step number one is personal development. And I swear, uh, I didn't know that about Scott before we brought him on today. That was genuine. To hear him say that exact same thing and then hear this young guy who is talking with so much passion, has all these goals for his life, and is doing so much positive work for people. Guys, that's not just motivation, woo-woo, BS type of stuff. Like, that's real, okay? It is something that actually does uh, make a real lasting change to your mind and your subconscious. And so I think we have to start there. It can be something as simple as 30 minutes a day. I recommend if you can't do any other time, first 15 minutes waking up. Um, there's a lot of theories about, you know, what you put into your mind in the first few minutes of the day uh, matter. I have no idea if that science is true. I will tell you anecdotally for myself, clients I work with, and many other individuals I talk to, that is something that's really powerful. So what we want to do is we can just go to YouTube, we can type in personal development, you can type in uh, Tony Robbins motivation or something like that, and actually listen. And put that in your brain before you put anything else in. So before Facebook, or before Instagram, or before checking texts, or emails from your boss, you're all stressed out with work, right, stuff like that. Before you do that, I challenge you for 15 minutes minimum, more if you can, go do something like that. Personal development is step number one. Step number two is the diet side of things for me. And remember, this is for people dealing with non-circumstantial mental health issues. Surely this stuff would help and support people with circumstantial mental health issues, but um, I think it'd be really ignorant to go out and say that someone who was, um, let's say, you know, physically abused, they were beaten their whole life, that they're going to go get better by changing their diet. I think that's insulting. I'm not suggesting that for one second, right? And that's why I'm separating these things. So I'm going to run out of time here today, but I'll keep going while I can. <laughs> um, diet is number two. We are doing so many crazy things in our modern world, the stuff that we're eating. Um, one of the things that I learned and that helped me the most is that I never knew the neurotransmitters in our mind, the things that we need to actually feel mentally healthy, the things that we take medication for. The most popular class of antidepressant drugs are called SSRIs. Those are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So let's forget what the other parts are right now. Let's focus on serotonin. We're trying to manipulate serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter. Well, hey, did you know serotonin is actually created by an amino acid called tryptophan, which converts into 5-HTP, which is 5-hydroxytryptophan, which then converts into serotonin, which actually converts to melatonin at night. Okay, and guess where we get that stuff? We get it from protein. Well, I knew I was going to get myself cut off here. I, I went way too long. Listen, if you want to hear another episode um, where I go over more of the resolution side of things and some of the things that actually worked for me for resolving my mental health issues, please let me know, evantransfer.com, contact us, and just say, hey, we want some more of that. Of course, you can go get my book on Amazon, Overcoming Mental Health Challenges, How I Resolved 13 Years of Mental Health Issues Naturally. But I know my producer is going to kick me off in just a second, and he's going to do it with no problem because he doesn't even have to look at me today. Because remember, we are remote from Florida. <laughs> well, everyone, thanks for tuning. Uh, thanks so much, excuse me, for tuning into another episode of the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. As always, I'm your host, Evan Trancy, aka Health Coach Ev, and we've been talking to Scott Rendergast today. You can find more about Scott in the show notes on the website or on any major podcast platform. And as always, you can get in contact with me. Get by heading over the world of 